In the past, Introduction to Statistics classes spent a lot of time covering distribution tables, teaching students to run stats by hand, and focusing on statistical procedures. However, educators are continually considering new ways to teach stats, and the increasing popularity of data science makes that a more urgent prospect for some. That's a focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rosemary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of my University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Emeritus Professor of Statistics at Miami University. Our guest today is Mina Chetankaya Rundle. Mina Chetankaya Rundle is Professor of the Practice in the Department of Statistical Science at Duke University and Developer Educator at POSIT, formerly R Studio. Her work focuses on innovation in statistics and data science pedagogy with an emphasis on computing, reproducible research, student-centered learning, and open-source education. She works on integrating computation into the undergraduate stats curriculum using reproducible research methods and analysis of real and complex data sets. Chetankaya Rundle's also written articles for the Journal of Statistics and Data Science Education about the evolution of stats education. Mina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. How did stats pedagogy become a focus for you? You know, when I decided to go to graduate school for statistics, um, I was not necessarily sure what I was going to do next with it. And thankfully uh, for me, we had a TA requirement as part of my graduate program. And I realized that I really, really enjoy the teaching aspect. I had done you know, bits and pieces of teaching, uh, tutoring in undergraduate and enjoyed it. But I didn't really I hadn't really thought about it as a profession for myself until I got a chance to do it as a graduate TA and really enjoyed it and realized, hey, this might be a path forward. And I was lucky enough to be at UCLA where Rob Gould is, whose focus is sort of statistics education. And I realized this could be a pathway for me and sort of it was, you know, a happenstance and something I enjoy and thinking about how can I turn this into my actual job? That, that that's always great to be able to turn something into an actual job. That you, that where you have this this interest that, and this uh, the skills to make to be very successful at, at this yeah. work. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've I've, I've really enjoyed. I mean, I, I look back on decades of of being an instructor where I'm teaching statistical ideas, and I kind of cringe at <laughs> at the way you know some of the aspects of the course, you know, decades ago. But but you know, in some sense, it was constrained by technology. It was constrained by the systems in which we work. I I found it really interesting that that I've gotten to witness things like even the ASA section on statistical education changed its name. And I think you, you were at the helm when that when that change was made. So can you talk a little bit about about why that was something that was important? to do. Yeah, so a lot of statistics educators are also teaching data science courses or integrating data science ideas into their statistics courses and also integrating statistics ideas into their data science courses. Many of us have been sort of tasked with uh, such challenges in the recent past and we were, you know, as the uh, education section, we're always sort of thinking about how do we make sure that 
we are offering something that's actually of interest and benefit that's worth the member's time. And we were realizing growing number of, for example, JSM submissions that are more on data science education, you know, panels, poster sessions, whatever. And at some point, you want to sort of make sure that you capture that identity of those people. And we've really thought about, does it make sense maybe to support the formation of an interest group in data science education, which might down the line turn into its own section. And I think that was a thing that we sort of worried about because it would be many of us who have perhaps started off as statistics educators or nowadays maybe just starting off as statistics and data science educators don't see these as like separate parts of our identity. We sort of like do that together. And so uh, we thought, I think, Changing the name could signal like this wider umbrella that we want to sort of collect people under and potentially also bring in folks who are not statisticians by training, but are also teaching data science into the section and hence the ASA as well. Yeah, that's I mean, it really it really resonates. And I'm going to follow up here quickly with in my department, for example, we looked at renaming a, a degree to data science and statistics, allowing for different tracks within it. We've also over the course in introducing new courses, we're introducing courses in statistical programming and data visualization, uh, more towards the idea of, of you know, drawing, drawing conclusions, getting some, you know, extracting information from from data sources. What I wanted to, to ask as a follow up in particular was, uh, can you give an example or two when you said, you know, introducing data science topics into an introduction, introductory statistics class. What, what does that look like? What are some of the topics that you think were important to infuse there? For example, larger emphasis and taking more time with it of ideas around data wrangling, for example. So we've sort of, at least in my uh, sort of career in statistics education, have always had this focus on we should be teaching with real data. But since we did not necessarily always uh, spend as much time sort of teaching students how to clean up data and tidy it up and get it to a format where you can then visualize it and model with it, we would, even if we were using real data sets, we would give students sort of curated real data sets that were sort of ready to go. And maybe you needed to do just a couple transformations to some columns to stepping back and saying, well, maybe your data set does not even come as a rectangle. You know, maybe it's actually a JSON file that you need to first change into um, sort of a tabular format, or maybe you need to go get it yourself by scraping it off the web. So these are things that are that we're doing sort of to prepare the data for the analysis that we want to do. And I will say that even beyond the data preparation stage, just even at the analysis stage, Another idea that I feel like uh, like I have been infusing more and more in my um, sort of intro courses, and I know others have as well, is going beyond the emphasis on statistical inference, still keeping that there and the idea around uncertainty, but also starting to think about how can we discuss predictive modeling with students early on? Because turns out that's the sort of thing they're always interested in. Mina, you know, data is is literally everywhere now. You know, it's so easy for people to grab a public data set. Data is used increasingly in journalism, blog post and Twitter post. How has this sort of increasingly public nature of data and statistical data in particular sort of affected your approach or your thinking about how to teach stats? 
Uh, it takes me zillions of hours more to prepare my classes <laughs> um, because it is so hard to just say, I'll just use the same data set I used last semester when I know the day before I ran into some cool tweet when someone was like, okay, like I did this in my class or even like I came across this paper and here's the data that goes along with it. So I think it has had many, many positive impacts. Um, to my teaching as the instructor, because it's so many uh, you know newer things that I can pull from. I mean, just the other day, this happened to me where a week ago, I saw a tweet about somebody saying that they had sort of in their data visualization course, scraped data on Yankee Candle reviews and sort of uh, put that oh, yeah. together with the, um, the COVID data and then um, sort of just kind of showed them potentially syncing up and, and so I thought, well, I'm teaching web scraping this week. I have to do this. So that's what my students will be doing tomorrow <laughs> in class. Um, at the same time, I should mention, though, that because data sets themselves are so easy to find, what I've seen is that the quality of data documentation has not gone up at the same mm -hmm. pace as the amount of data that's available. So there's so many repositories of like data sets but they don't even have a readme that says how the data was collected, why it was collected, who it was collected from. So it is wonderful that we can tell our students, you know, your final project, go get a data set and do something with it. I mean, I love that approach, but it is so difficult to sort of keep them disciplined in sort of paying attention to the provenance of the data when that information turns out is much harder to come across. Well, that, that's a great point. I mean, this this issue of kind of this data set availability, this is where I, I, I thought that, that often with convenience, you don't necessarily know the relevance for a population of interest. And, and here's where I, you know, when you were talking about kind of the statistical ideas that might be relevant for, for someone in, who's teaching data science from a, a, maybe from a computer science perspective, okay. having this idea of, of a representative sample becomes, cri it's critical. I mean, it's, it could be complete nonsense in the absence of that. So I, 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 I I can see that aspect really coming out. So you've talked about this, you know, working with data that's that's kind of messy in a stack class to make to get that re that relevance, and then this idea of sort of the statistical principles and ideas making it relevant for maybe a group that doesn't necessarily have that exposure. I, there's another aspect of of using data that's that you've mentioned in some of your work, and and it's this the, there's issues of kind of ethics that comes into play when you're using such data. So so. Could, you know, how do you talk about that? How do you get students to think about what, what are sort of the use agreements when they're grabbing these data and what, what's appropriate? Yeah, so, um, so we do this in two ways. One of them is sort of procedural, which is we actually teach them the tools to check, are you allowed to scrape data? So each website has this, you know, robots.txt file that actually tells a web crawler, can you get data from here or not? And I teach with R and there's an R package that allows you to do this sort of check. So the very beginning of our web scraping, you know, lesson, for example, is let's check this. But then we actually, before teaching web scraping, talk to students about data, data ethics and give them some case studies that maybe many of us know about at this point, like the OkCupid one, where it was, yes, legal to get the data and release the data, but was it ethical? And there was, you know, quite a bit of uh, different ideas from the researchers who released it versus the public and the other researchers who said, well, you know, these people are highly identifiable here. So we bring in examples like this of things that happened. And also we try to get students to think about 
the ways in which they emit data and how they would feel if that data was used for various, you know, things. So oftentimes they're like, I am fine if my social media profile is seen by someone, but not equally fine if my social media profile is being used to make hiring decisions about me. So I think getting them to think about their own data is also important, both you know, to make them more responsible about their own data. But beyond that, um, sometimes it's a little harder to care about other people's data, but it can be a lot, you know, it can be a lot more emotional and hence trigger a more immediate response if you're talking about your own data. So we try to sort of talk to them about the ethics, but also the sort of the the tools that they can use and then bring the two together in making a decision around whether they should grab that data and once they do how they should use it how they should allow for the reuse of it you're listening to stats and stories and today we're talking to statistics pedagogy expert mina chetankaya rundle yeah that's a that, that's a hard thing to, to, to think about, you know, in terms of this engagement. I mean, it's, it's such a critical aspect. I mean, you sort of before the break, you were talking about this, the, the issue of, of ethics. And, I, and I, I often think about, okay, we've got people that are currently instructing in this. And whether they're teaching this at the secondary level or university level and beyond, that, that may need to start infusing their own, upskilling themselves, <laughs> you know, how, getting kind of more foundations, perhaps, and in, in kind of helping with these types of ethical decisions decisions and considerations, but or or, you know, getting developing additional competencies in some of the data science skills in one case or statistical skills in another. So how do you think about kind of not just, you know, in a teaching perspective, they talk, there's often the discussion of pre-service versus in-service. I, I think that the addition of, of, of data science principles and, you know, in this sort of blurring of lines has led to maybe even greater needs for additional in-service training. And, and it sounds like, you know, some of what maybe you're doing with as it, with our studio might capture that, although it's got a new name now, right? You know, so there's a, <laughs> so, so can you talk a little bit about kind of, uh, kind of current practitioners increasing their skill sets to, to be able to start to handle some of these problems? Yeah, so I think that um, one of the ways we sort of try to capture this, like what students could be doing once they become practitioners is try to bring that experience into the classroom with not just with practical little examples, but also as much as possible, adding like a project component to um, their coursework where they get to actually analyze a data set from beginning to end and ask questions they are interested in in answering. And I think this is good Uh, like from a motivation perspective, but sometimes I find it's even harder to answer a question that someone else asked you to answer than the one you may have been interested in, which is probably more likely what is happening in, you know, a real work scenario uh, where you can't just sort of change your problem as you go to take the path of least resistance through it. uh, But instead you sort of have to face the difficulties that come with it and really perhaps, you know, really work hard at getting your data in shape or getting a visualization to look a certain way or getting building a model that actually is useful to not just you, but to other practitioners as well. So I think that 
our students get this sort of experience when they do things like internships and whatnot. But I also think as much as possible, getting them involved in like collaborative projects early on, where there may be a, a domain expert, a practitioner, maybe in another department or uh, with an outside business who might have a question that they want answered and getting the students involved in answering those is really helpful. It, these experiences are not easy to sort of do, especially at scale. They get even harder and the sort of the increasing interest from the student body in data science means our classes are growing larger and larger. But as much as possible, trying to keep up with having these sort of real experiences for students, I think go a le really long way. From my perspective, uh, working with our studio, soon to be posit, what I really enjoy about it is having this sort of on my radar, the types of problems many people are trying to solve uh, using packages like Tidyverse or systems like Quarto and just seeing the questions that come from them. And the, uh, the software engineers are mostly the people who are solving on those, uh, who are working on solving those problems. I am not a software engineer myself, but I really enjoy being able to think about, well, maybe that's already a solved problem. And if this person is not getting it, that is clearly a documentation or a communication issue and sort of thinking about we can't just like write the documentation in all caps and expect it's going to work we clearly have to take a different approach to communicating that or maybe change the tooling because it's simply difficult for folks to use you know one of the things that that i i was thinking about as you're describing this i'm i'm, I'm going to, to to channel rosemary in a question here <laughs> so this is going to now she's scared and you're scared no, i'm That's terrified what, you know, <laughs> So, so one thing that I think about is that, you know, for some, for a journalist student, for example, a major, they may have only one stat class in their undergraduate career. I only had one stat class in my yeah. undergraduate career. Yeah, so, so in some sense, you're going out to work now with, with this foundation. And, and you know, I, I, I think about kind of this infusion of, as you've talked about it, whether it's the, the kind of the principles that are still relevant and important and critical from statistical thinking to some of the, the computing skills that are required. And, and, and you also mentioned kind of this predictive modeling. I, you know, I think of this as, as much more important than just uh, an evolution or change that's relevant for a major in, in a stat or data science program, mm -hmm. but also for the journalist who's in, in Rosemary's program. So, so when you think about this in terms of kind of, you know, the, the one course only exposure to, mm -hmm. to statistics and data science, why is, it, why is it even more important perhaps to have some of these data science principles infused? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if, if folks are going to take only one course throughout their undergraduate career, one, I think it's very important that they get exposed to tooling they could use afterwards, if need be, that they can actually, you know, pick things back on, back up and sort of continue to use them to the extent that they need to as part of their profession. So I love tools that are designed for teaching because I think that they can be so effective in sort of like highlighting a particular concept but I don't really like them for the practice of doing statistics and data science, because otherwise you take this one course and then what? And then you can't actually use a tool you learned that you invested time in to solve the problems you want to solve. So I would say that from a tooling perspective, you know, learning a programming language, even if you're sort of learning it at a pretty high level, I think is really important so that you have a good foundation to build on later if you choose to do so. Another thing, and you know, I'm going to speak now 
not trying to solve all the problems because we get into <laughs> challenges around like, okay, how do you run such a class? How do you grade such a class, whatever. But it is my experience, particularly running the DataFest event that I've been running over the decade, where we have students sort of work on a real project over one weekend, said teams that are diverse in many ways, including disciplines of students do so well so incredibly well because it's the journalism student maybe who asks the critical question and then maybe the stats or the data science student who says oh i think i know how to join these two data sets to try to answer that and the computer science student that maybe says okay this is a large data set but i think i can make this code run faster and maybe a student with you know a bit more eye for communication who says now that we have this stuff i know how to present it and i think trying i wish we could have more classes where these things happen and um they do actually tend to happen in intro courses where students before mm. that they take before they've made up their minds about their disciplines so it's one of the reasons why i enjoy teaching intro courses but it would be great if even at a higher level we had more experiences that bring students with different backgrounds together and have them solve a common problem bringing in their skills and hopefully by osmosis, learn a little bit from each other as well. Well, D DataFest is, is clearly a brilliant effort. And it's, it's you know, we've hosted it on, on our campus and, and your work in that is is just deeply, deeply appreciated. So, Thank you. Yeah, the, the one thing I wanted to, before we, we kind of get close to a close, I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about some of your work with open source textbooks. Mm -hmm. the, the idea of, you know, that, that you're just having this, this resource that is openly, publicly available. What, what kind of, what led you to get involved in something like that? And, and why do you think that's important? Yeah, you know, I think I got involved with Open Intro, the open source uh, textbook project, um, before I knew what open source meant, I think. <laughs> Thanks to my collaborator, David Diaz, whose sort of original idea this whole thing was, who knew a little bit more about this stuff than I did. I got excited about it because I thought, hey, if there's a way we can get a free resource out there to students, why not? I am already writing pretty extensive sort of notes and exercises for the you know, classes I'm TAing for. If there's a way to reuse these in a way where others can benefit from, why not? That's really how I sort of got into it. And it was through working on that project starting at, in grad school but continuing until now i realized hey this is not just limited to providing one free pdf to people there's actually like a whole movement around open source sort of sharing of things not on just the education side but software as well so it's almost like over the years many worlds that i've been, i've been involved in turns out to be things that are open source and i've found sort of uh, liking for that. I like developing things in an open way because of the feedback you receive even during the time of uh, development. It is hard to maintain open source projects. I have to say sometimes mm -hmm. other priorities uh, come up and you feel bad that you can't sort of resolve an issue that someone might expect you to. But if I can like just set aside the guilt for a little bit of, from those instances, it is uh, 
really enjoyable process. And then to read from students, you know, the feedback that says it's because this book was free that I was, I feel like I was able to sort of start learning from this, not just folks enrolled in university, but even others who are just sort of picking it up and reading it. I think that's a, I don't know, it's, it's been a really enjoyable experience for me. And ultimately, it's just kept me organized in terms of my own teaching. Much of what I sort of generate and share as open source educational materials are things that I'm already generating for myself. And yes, it does take a little bit of additional work to organize it for reuse by others. But I find that that's an intellectually engaging work. And well, being an academic, you know, some of my time is dedicated to obviously like gen- creating things to share with others. So maybe it's one less paper a year, but I feel like it's been impactful nonetheless. Mina, you've talked a lot about sort of um, how you became a stats educator and sort of how things are going now. And I wonder what where do you see stats education going in the future? You know, we, we've had this infusion of data science it sort of has sort of changed what you're doing. What do you think's next? Um, you know, that's a really good question. And it's it's a question that's hard to answer. Obviously, data science ideas are here to stay. I think one of the challenges that a lot of sort of statistics, let's say departments are going to tackle is like how we handle data science. Do we actually, you know, form solid collaborations with other departments that also do data science or Do we try to sort of say, no, we are taking over data science, but one way or another, I think it's important that we as statisticians sort of continue to stay in the mix and stay in the conversation, because I think the perspective that you bring as a statistician is so important. The other thing is, I mean, there's obviously, you know, data science or not, there's going to continue to be interesting methodological developments. Like, I think the advance of data science and the advance of things you've mentioned around like there's data everywhere means we are generating new problems to solve all the time. So I think there's ample work for statisticians to do. So I don't think in any way statistics as a discipline is becoming obsolete or anything. What I think might be changing and I perhaps hope is changing is an increase in variety of entry points into the discipline of statistics. So instead of saying to students, you should have a bunch of calculus under your belt and ready to tackle our probability course if you want to study statistics, I think being able to say, hey, do your calculus along the way, but also you can start in, you know, in a, in a data science course where you don't perhaps need those math prereqs, but you need to be ready to learn a little bit about computing. Um, I think goes a long way. And I think it's the kind of the unison of these two that hopefully widens the umbrella and like maybe increases both the number and the variety of students we can sort of welcome into the discipline. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Stats and Stories. Mina, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Oh, thanks a ton. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, Apple Podcast, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.